listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We're going to sing a lot more before this morning is over. Thank you. Thank you, choir. How was that? How great was that to have a choir right there? Yes. Oh, it feels so good to be here and to already just feel his presence move. And I want to just ask you right now, if, if you are not already ready and willing to open up your heart, and receive God's good news. I want to ask you just to open up your heart and your mind right now and listen to his truth. Please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2 this morning. Today we're going to dedicate a portion of our time together looking at one of the greatest sermons that has ever been preached. This particular sermon was preached by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, and this was the inception of the church. Have you ever asked yourself, why has the church gathered for over 2,000 years on Sunday mornings? What is so special about church on Sunday morning? How did something like this ever start? How did this begin? And not only that, But how is the church of Jesus Christ still radically transforming lives across the globe? Do you realize that's that's what's going on? That is still happening? It's been over 2,000 years and counting, and lives are still being changed. There's nothing else like the church of Jesus Christ. And that includes every other major world religion. Acts 2 gives us the answers to all of those questions. Now, the backdrop of this sermon is the day of Pentecost. This is the religious holiday where people from every nation gathered in Jerusalem. But this Pentecost, in particular here in Acts chapter 2, is the Pentecost like no other. Because in this particular one, Jesus Christ, just a few weeks before, has risen from the dead... He has been seen by over 500 people at one time. He's been walking and talking with his disciples, the same men who had given up. They had lost all hope. They had went back to fishing. They thought it was all over. The three years that they just spent with Jesus, they didn't understand. He was dead, but now he is alive. And Jesus, right before he ascended into heaven, promised them the gift of his Holy Spirit. And he told them, you are going to change the world. So here we are, Pentecost has arrived. And with this day is the official closing of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament period of time. And it's the start of something new. So Acts 2 begins, and it's hard for me to even describe this. So I'll just have you read it for the first few verses here. Listen to what happens when the day of Pentecost, verse 1, arrived. 
They were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Skip down to verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Now, Peter doesn't miss a chance to throw in a good joke here at the beginning of his message. Look, they're not drunk. The reason is because, look, it's, it's the third hour of the day. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, okay? They're not drunk. Rather, this is what's going on. Verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice, addressed them, men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And Peter goes on to explain this is the fulfillment of a prophecy from the prophet Joel that God will pour out his spirit to everyone, to every man, woman, and child who knows God. And that was a big difference because up until this point, God's spirit was only to specific people for specific periods of time. Not every follower of God had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for their entire life. It was, it was a limited time that it would come and go. So he's stepping up to answer this question about what's going on. He explains his prophecy of Joel. And any time you have an earth-shattering historic event, the ushering in of a new era, you're going to have doubts and you're going to have questions. And in this message, Peter is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and he delivers the answers. Like any good preacher, Peter also has three points. So let me tip you off to what we're about to read. Here's your preview. He's going to talk about death, resurrection, and ascension. Those are the three points. So we're going to jump back into this text in verse 22. And as we read these Holy Spirit-inspired cliff notes of this great sermon... I want you to listen for three things. What does this say about death, resurrection, and ascension? What is this really saying about death? Do you think about death very often? Some of us try to avoid that at all costs, right? But, but that's a fool's errand. Death is coming for us all. Death is a part of life whether we want it to be or not. And this has a lot to say about death. Do you have questions about resurrection? Do you believe in life after death? A lot of people wrestle with that question. I hope you do. I hope you believe in an afterlife. Sadly, I know some people who believe that once 
We go into the ground and our bodies dissolve into dust. That's it. Our existence is over. There's nothing left. I, I honestly think it's, it's a stretch to get there, and I think people have to work hard to get to that conclusion because we are created by God with eternity in our soul, and we know deep down there has to be something more than this present life. And as, we, as we're going to see, there most certainly is. The saddest and the most de de depressing way to possibly live your life is to not believe in anything after death. It's a very sad and depressing way to live. Here's the third piece of the sermon that you need to look at and think through and look for. I think it's the most underrated piece maybe of all. Do you ever think about the ascension of Jesus Christ and what that means for you in your life today? It's a very big deal. And as we read this text, I want you to listen closely. Listen for what the ascension and the resurrection of Jesus says about you and your place in this world today. So please follow along with me as I read our text for this morning, Acts 22 through 36 of chapter 2. Here are the words of Peter. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with many works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that, we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus, whom you crucified. Here's Peter's first point. And whether you believe it or not, it's just as personal for you today as it was for the original audience over 2,000 years ago. Number one, you crucified Christ. Look at that verse again. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. From his birth, Jesus of Nazareth was declared to be Messiah and Lord and King. Jesus validated his position as the Savior of the world through his mighty signs and wonders. His miracles had a twofold purpose, to reveal the promise of the kingdom and to show the actualization of the kingdom of heaven on earth. So how did people know that Jesus was different? He walked on water. He miraculously fed the multitudes. The blind received their sight by the hands of the words of Jesus Christ. He turned water into wine. He cast out demons. He freed the captives. Jesus raised the dead to life. He did all of that. No one could doubt that. No one could fight that or argue that. The only difference that we have today as compared to then is at this point in time, there was no one there to doubt it. You couldn't doubt it. It was so obvious. It was seen by so many people. Peter says here, as you yourselves know. You don't say, as you yourselves know to someone's face, unless you were for sure with a, without a shadow of a doubt that you've both seen it, right? Like we know Joe Biden is the president of the United States of America. We, we've seen him sworn in. We all know that, as you know. He's going down in history as the 46th president. If that's not a good enough example for you, mo most of you know that I am, you all know I'm wearing a white shirt, right? As you know, I'm wearing this shirt. You can see it. No one in this crowd doubted that Jesus lived a remarkable life on earth. We're still talking about him. There will never come a day when we stop talking about Jesus of Nazareth. And the fascinating thing, fascinating thing about Jesus is that he's so transcendent that every other world religion has to address Jesus of Nazareth. Who else is like that? There is no one else like that. For the Hindus, Jesus' life is an example of light. He was a holy man, a wise teacher, a little G God. Similarly, Buddhists believe that Jesus of Nazareth was an enlightened man and a great moral teacher. Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet on par with Muhammad. They believe that he was born of a virgin, but the Quran denies that Jesus died on the cross. And of all the things that they get wrong, a religion that's based on fear and not love, a, a religion that has an impersonal force of a God rather than a personal knowing God who wants a relationship with you, the fatal flaw of Islam is the one fact that everyone agrees upon, whether it's a secular historian, a Jewish historian, a Roman historian right there at the time, that Jesus was crucified. But they deny that, and they say that Jesus was placed out, switched out for another man was killed in his place. <clears throat> Every religion addresses Jesus of Nazareth. I don't even have time to go into it all. But here's the truth about Jesus. Look at verse 23 again. Look at, look at it right there with me. 
This Jesus delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And I just preached about this on Good Friday from Isaiah chapter 53, where it says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Look at this text. Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, you are healed. This was the Father's will. And it was his plan from the beginning. Isaiah 53, verse 6 goes on to say, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin has separated us from God. And the only way to restore our relationship with God the Father, our creator, and to be restored is for someone else who lived a sinless life to take the wrath of God upon himself and bear our burden, take our place. That's what Jesus Christ did at Calvary. Amen. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. So Jesus took your place. The payment of sin is death and Jesus died for you. Now, this is where it gets offensive. Some of you will get offended when you hear that you are a sinner. That you're not good enough to save yourself. And you may very well be a good person compared to most people out there but that's compared to people, and that's not the standard. The, the very best person in this room is a sinner whose righteousness falls far short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches us that to God, to the holy God who has never sinned, even our very best, our righteousness is as filthy rags before him. Now, hopefully you accept that. You realize that you have problems, that you don't, you don't live a perfect life. You've made mistakes, but it's really more than just making mistakes. When you choose your way over God's way, when you choose to live your life for your own pleasure and your own glory rather than his, that is rebellion against your creator. And not everyone is a Christian. Not everyone believes that message. It doesn't change the reality, though. Here's the next piece that is even harder to swallow. In this verse, we see God's sovereignty. Jesus was delivered up to death according to the knowledge of God. And then we also see not only God's sovereignty, we also see man's responsibility right here in the same verse. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The Romans crucified him. The Jewish religious leaders accused him. Pilate did nothing about it. He, 
his, his inaction was also a decision to make. A lot of people are in the same place as Pilate, honestly. Like, they, they just haven't made a decision at all on Jesus. They've just raised their hands. Well, you can say what you want to say. You can do what you want to do. I just don't know. A lot of people are there. That inaction is an action in and of itself. There may, there may have been, there, there very well could be a few people in this crowd that Peter was addressing who yelled and cried out with an angry voice, crucify him, crucify him. Perhaps a few of those people were here in this, hearing this message, right? But not everyone. Peter here says, you crucified Christ by the hands of lawless men. He's personalized it. And this is the truth. It was your sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. Jesus went to the cross because of you, and he went to the cross for you. Your sin hung him there. Jesus bled and died for you because there's no other way to be saved from the judgment of God on your sin. And sin is anything that misses the mark on God's holiness. God is just. God is truthful. He cannot lie. God is patient. He is kind. And any time we do anything that's the opposite of his nature, when we are simply not kind, when we are harsh, when we are impatient, we are sinning because we are doing the opposite of the nature of God. Are you guilty? I know I am. We all are. And this is no light thing to sin against a holy God. See, our world trivializes sin. We make a joke out of it. It's no laughing matter to God. Sin brings death, which is separation from God the Father. That's the bad news. You crucified Christ. But it gets better. Jesus went to the cross for your sin. Jesus died for your sin. And it's just only getting better from here. Look at verse 24. Here's the second point of the resurrection. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That's point two today. God raised him up. I know you're excited about this. I am too. This is why we are here. And that phrase... Loosing the pangs of death, that's a play on words because the pangs there is actually talking about agony in childbearing. That's where that phrase comes from, the pangs. It's the agony of, of bearing a child. When Jesus arose, he conquered death and the agony of death is no longer there because through Jesus' death, you can receive eternal life. Amen. He's flipped it on its head. Through death has come life. There's no more agony. Yes. Death doesn't have to mean the end. It's now the beginning of something better. If you know Jesus. If Jesus had died and stayed dead, he would be a figure of history, of religious history, of, of motivational history, just like any other good human being throughout history. And honestly, if he had stayed dead, he would find his place 
in all those other false religions where they have him, a wise, good man, a great example. But every man, woman, and child throughout the history of the world who comes to know Jesus and believes that truly he did come back to life, they can have hope. Because every other human throughout history has died. Only Jesus himself rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. Now, this is where Peter explains to the people that this was prophesied by David in the Psalms. We've already read this, but, but you have that phrase there. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. And Peter points out, look, David died. His tomb isn't very far from here. They're in Jerusalem. That's, that's where David's tomb is to this day. So what Peter is saying is David is not talking about himself. Verse 31, what does it say? He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of the Christ. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. We've covered that. No one is debating that. People doubt that now, over 2,000 years later. But the closer you look, the more you have to come to the realization that it happened, and it turned the world upside down. Last Easter, I preached a message from Acts chapter 5 about the confidence of our resurrection. And you can just take any look at history. Just open up a few books. Read a few books about what happened there. You had the Roman authorities making specific laws that were, that were isolated and pointed at this specific region of Judea about not stealing a body from a tomb. What was going on there with that? The facts are all over the place. If Jesus wasn't alive, and if it was a complete sham and the disciples stole the body like the Jewish religious leaders claimed they did, they would have found that body and they would have paraded the body of Jesus, the dead body of Jesus, down the street. And it would have ended Christianity right there before, before Peter ever preached this message. But Jesus' body was never found because Jesus arose Amen. and he ascended into heaven. So you can believe in the resurrection of Jesus just by simply looking at history, but I'll give you one better. The testimony of his changed lives throughout history. Jesus has changed my life. And I know a lot of people in this room, he's changed your life. Yesterday was a dark, dreary, rainy day, right? It's a day to think about Christ in the tomb. The hope of the world was, was gone on that Saturday. As I was, uh, you know, we were, we were doing a lot of things yesterday, the rainy day, but there was a brief time there, like about an hour, that Beckham, my son, said, hey, Dad, you want to come out and play soccer in the rain? I was like, yes, let's do it. We have this, we've mowed this big patch of grass, and uh, there were, like, rain puddles out there. It was just a complete mess. It was super muddy. We were drenched but we were having a great time. And I just thought, man, I love being a dad. What a gift is this to be a dad, to have kids. I talked to Julie about like, look at, look at how much. We spent time yesterday just talking about how much God has given us. We spent a lot of time cleaning our house yesterday. A lot of time cleaning our house, okay? And, and, uh, and I told Julie, you know, I, I would much rather have a messy house that we have to spend time cleaning up 
than having an empty house that just stays clean. My life has completely changed. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I wouldn't enjoy doing all the things that I do with my kids. I wouldn't enjoy having a messy house. I I would look at life from a very selfish perspective. I know my sinful heart. I know who I am. I would be an angry person. I would not be a very nice person if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. But he's completely changed me. I look at life through a completely different lens. And I know that every single person in this room who knows Jesus, you have the same gift that I have that I'm talking about. It's not just me. It's all of you. I don't fear death. And if you know Jesus Christ, you don't fear death. You have a peace that surpasses understanding. I know that God loves me and that he works together all things, all of those things that are inconvenient and, and I don't understand, they, don't, they just don't seem to be working out. God works all things together for his good and for my good because he loves me. And every true Christian in this room throughout the centuries has that same confident assurance and hope. I want you to have that same feeling. I want you to experience what I experience every single day, a reason to live that is greater than myself. Here's the thing about God raising Jesus. The book of Hebrews tells us the difference between all of the sacrifices of the old covenant that happened before this sermon at Pentecost compared to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 11 through 13. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. So how can you know that God accepted Jesus' payment for your sin? How can you know for sure? It's proven by the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. That's how. Romans 1.4 says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by his resurrection from death. The fact that God raised Jesus from the dead proves that Jesus' sacrifice was accepted by God. His life was offered once and for all time, and God accepted his sinless life as the propitiation for our sins. That's a biblical word. A lot of us don't understand that word propitiation. It just means appeasement. Jesus' life appeased the wrath of God. Jesus gave his life as an atonement for our sins. And God accepted it once and for all and raised him from the dead. And this is the best news that you will ever hear. And that's why you can have no fear of death. But that's not all because Peter has one more point to make. Number three, Jesus is exalted. Would you read these glorious verses with me again one more time and really listen to what this says about the ascension of Jesus Christ? Verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received 
From the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make my enemies, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and the Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I told you at the beginning of this message that the ascension of Jesus is not a throwaway. It's specifically essential for your life right now. And here's why. Did you catch it? Did you see why? It proves his work is finished. He's sent it back into heaven. He's at the right hand of God. He came, he died, he rose, and now he lives at the right hand of God, the Father, reigning from heaven. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he promised to return. And he is going to make all of his enemies his footstool. So what does that mean for you? It means that Jesus reigns. Jesus is king. He is sitting at the right hand of God. He is both Lord and Christ. And we saw the, this earlier in Hebrews 10. This, this phrase, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is quoted from Psalm 110. This is the most quoted verse from the entire Old Testament in the New Testament. Jesus is ruling and reigning from heaven. And though this world is often dark and cruel and dismal, Jesus is exalted forever and he will bring justice. He will make all things new. Nothing goes on that won't, will not be judged by God and covered by Jesus Christ. This world won't stay the same. There's coming a day when Jesus will return and make a new heaven and a new earth and will usher in his eternal kingdom. So what that means for you is you don't have to fear. You don't have to strive to fix all the wrongs in the world. You don't have to address every single problem and take it upon yourself to fix everything. You don't have to. Because Jesus will. You don't need to worry. And you don't need to be anxious about anything. Does that sound too good to be true, almost? I don't have to worry. I don't have to. Some of us live in come from, or what's going to happen here, or, 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 or you're so consumed with what that person did to you, that wrong thing that they did to you. And I get it. We can have some horrible things happen to us in this life. But that isn't what this life is all about. Those evil things of this world will be destroyed and judged by a righteous ruling king. And he will make all things new. He will set it all straight. Because all you really need to do is worship your Lord and Savior. You need to walk with him and talk with him and let your requests be made known to him. You can sum it all up by this. Trust your ruling, reigning Savior who has ascended and is at the right hand of God. It all starts with knowing him. And the ultimate question today 
and the ultimate question for your life is, do you know Jesus of Nazareth, who was delivered up by God to take the punishment for your sin, who God raised up, and who is ascended on high? Verse 37 gives us the response. Take a look. Now, when they had heard this, the people that Peter was addressing in this message, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Pretty simple, right? Repentance is a change of mind. It's turning from going your way to following God. And baptism is just simply faith activated. It's your belief in Jesus Christ and you taking a stand and saying, I believe what Jesus did for me. I want to prove that by showing people I am going to be baptized. I'm going to do this picture of his death where I dip into the waters, picturing his death and raised out of the waters, picturing his resurrection to new life. Is your faith activated? Do you believe in what Jesus did? Baptism doesn't save you in and of itself. It's the faith in Jesus that saves you, and it's the baptism that confirms that and affirms that to everyone out there. I follow Jesus. I believe Jesus. And if you know Jesus Christ, and you are living in a way that exalts Jesus rather than yourself, well then, you've unlocked the secret to joy and happiness and peace and assurance and confidence. That's why we're here today. It's because Jesus rose, he conquered sin and death so you can have life. If you don't know Jesus, confess your sin right now. Maybe you're cut to the heart right now. You can do that this very moment. There is mercy and there is grace. There is healing to, to be restored and come back into the relationship that God has created for you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to sing a few more songs this morning in celebration. But I want you to think about all those questions that I proposed at the top. We've answered them, right? This is why we gather on Sunday mornings, because Jesus arose on Sunday morning. Death doesn't have to be the end. Death is a surety. It is coming for us. But if you know Jesus Christ, it is the doorway to eternal life. Jesus ascended. God accepted his sacrifice, his resurrection, and he is now ruling and reigning and he can be your king. Stand up with me. It's really simple. Death means I need a savior. Resurrection means I can be made new. Ascension means that Jesus reigns. Thanks for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.